Glad to be back with you guys again tonight. And uh, if you all know, we're in the book of... Yes, we are. We're in the book of 1 Peter. Y'all were listening. That's good. And of course, the PowerPoint was there up, up there too. That helps. Um, we, we have... Uh, uh, I didn't see. Did we get notes tonight as well? Oh, good. All right. So let me encourage you to take notes. Again, it helps remember, helps you to be able to apply what God is teaching. And actually, it's kind of fun. Tonight and tomorrow night are kind of part one and part two about us living counter to the culture. In today's time, for all of us, we are tempted every single day to submit to what the culture throws at us. Uh, when it comes to politics, when it comes to raising our kids, when it comes to being a mom or a dad, when it comes to being a kid, when it comes to being a grandparent, we oftentimes feel the peer pressure of the culture pushing on us to be a certain way. We find the culture saying, well, because this is the way we live and this is the time that we're living in, this is what you ought to do now. This is the way it ought to be now. And the reality is, truth never changes. The times will change, cultures change, likes change, dislikes change, opinions change, but truth never changes. And so as we open the Word of God tonight, we're going to take a look at what does God say about us and how we live in this world that we now live in? How do we live our lives in a way that literally butts up against the culture in a lot of different ways? And how do we show people the love of Christ? I think sometimes as Christians what happens is, is we think we have to prove God God doesn't need proving, y'all. God doesn't need proving. Matter of fact, God doesn't need to be defended. I can promise you that. What we ought to be doing, though, is living our lives in such a way that our voices, what speak out of our mouths, should match how our lives are lived. When we claim to know Christ, we call ourselves Christians, when we say, well, I'm a follower of Christ, then our lives ought to match that as well. Because if our lives don't match what we're saying, then we lose the respect of the audience that's around us. And so our lives need to look different, but it needs to be in line with what God has laid out for each one of us. So living counter the culture, we're in chapter 1. We are uh, looking at verses 14 through 21 tonight. And my first point tonight is this, we must know who we were. Now, why do we start with who we were? Because for some of us, we forget what lost people are like. And what I mean by that is, we will look at society and go, well, how can they live that way? How would they make decisions like that? How can they say that? And the reality is, without Christ, there's nothing in anyone that is good. Now, we'll look at people and go, well, they're a good person. Y'all, without Christ, there's no goodness in us. Are we capable of doing acts of good without Christ? Oh, yes, we are. But in and of ourselves, there's nothing good in us apart from Christ. And so even when we want to think the best of people, they are enemies with our king and our lord because they don't 
know him yet, and we were enemies of our king and our Lord when we did not know him. Because we were bent towards ourselves. The only person we worshipped was ourselves. The only one we ultimately listened to was ourselves. And so as we look at this, let's just take a look at it for a moment at who we were. In verse 14 it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. In other words, those without Christ by choice have chosen to remain ignorant to who God is and to his truth. And God says, now that you know me, here's where you were. You were conformed to the lusts that you walked in and that's what your life looked like. It was the lust of the flesh. It was the lust of the eyes. It was the boastful pride of life. That's what controlled your life. Those without Christ have no control over that. Those without Christ have no control over their actions. In reality, they really don't because they're being geared by the spiritual forces of darkness. And I'll show you that in his word in just a minute. And so when we understand someone without Christ is literally under the authority of the demonic forces, it helps us understand why choices are being made the way they are. Now, it breaks our heart, and there's even such a thing as righteous anger. I mean, some of the things that our government does righteously make me angry. That they would consider the value of a cat over a person. They would have a bill that says, we're going to write a bill that, that cats can no longer be killed but they will abort children without the blink of an eye. Now that should make us righteously angry, but it shouldn't surprise us because they're lost. Lost people have no value of life because they're dead on the inside. They don't realize where life comes from. When you believe that you were evolved out of some muck and mire... Where's the value of life? There is no value of life because you worship your own creator and your creator is yourself. There is no God. You just all of a sudden happened. So you literally are at the same level as the animal kingdom in a lost person's life. Do you understand that? I mean, it's hard for us as believers to go, how could somebody in their right mind? Well, they're not in their right mind. That, that's where you got to say, understand they're not in their right mind because they're dead. And that's why God warns us, hey, now that you're obedient children, don't be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Two things here. Number one, we hungered for the world. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 literally says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. Listen to this. According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Did you hear that said in verse 2? The spirit in this world, the, the spiritual forces of darkness are literally working in 
the children of disobedience. Who are the children of disobedience? Lost people. And then in verse 3 of Ephesians 2, it says, Among them, you too formerly lived in the lust of your flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and you were by your very nature a child of wrath. In other words, you were a child of hatred, hatred towards anyone around you, and hatred towards God. We hungered for the world. That's what we did. And that's what lost people do every day. You think about the things that lost people do. They'll run over anybody they have to to climb that ladder of success. They'll do whatever it takes to get to the top. And the problem is when they get to the top, there's nothing there to satisfy them. Because nothing in this world ever satisfies. If anything in this world satisfied us, we would never celebrate another birthday. Because there's no need. We celebrate birthdays not just because it's our birthday. We expect to get what? Yes. We expect to get presents. We celebrate Christmas. Yes, we celebrate the birth of our Lord. But let's be honest. When kids wake up on Christmas morning, they are not celebrating Jesus. They are celebrating whatever's under the Christmas tree. If the things of this world satisfied, that would never have to be done again. We're always wanting more. Always. Guess what? If the things of this world satisfied, flip phones would still be popular. Matter of fact, cord phones in the home would still be popular. Those of us that are old enough to remember, you know, trying to go to a private place in the house and stretching that cord as far as we could, you were locked in by that cord. Reality is, nothing of this world satisfies, ever. We're always looking for something new, always looking for something more. Well, that's exactly what lost people do every day because they don't have anything other than this world to live for. God says, I don't want you to live that way anymore. I don't want you to conform yourself to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. You're going to live counter to the culture. The second thing is that we lack knowledge. He says, you lived in this, you were in your ignorance. You were in your ignorance. In Philippians chapter 3, and I know I only put verse 19 in there for you, write in verse 18 as well, because listen to this. It says, for many walk, it's literally a warning in verse 18, he says, For many walk, of whom I often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. God was leading Paul to tell the church of Philippi, there's a lot of people that are going to come into your congregation. There's a lot of people that are going to claim to know Jesus. He says, but they are literally enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19 says, their end is destruction, their God is their appetite, and their glory is in their shame. And they set their minds on earthly things. That's what lost people do. God says, I don't want you being like that anymore. Don't walk in your ignorance, don't walk in your lack of knowledge, because now you have full knowledge. Why? Because Christ is in you. 
Y'all, we have all the knowledge we need because Christ is our knowledge. He is our wisdom. He is our understanding. That's what Scripture says. Do you realize that Proverbs, when you read the book of Proverbs, just some, sometime when you get a chance, start working through the book of Proverbs, and everywhere you see knowledge, understanding, or wisdom, underline it. Because every one of those are a reference to our king. He is knowledge. He is understanding. He is wisdom. Now, I'm going to kind of blow your minds here for a minute, so listen close. Quit asking God for wisdom. What you need to ask him for is discernment so that you know the difference between worldly wisdom and him as your wisdom. In James chapter 1, verse 5, people will say, well, you know, it says to ask for wisdom for those who lack it. You know who lack wisdom? Lost people. Lost people got to ask for wisdom. They need Christ. When James wrote the book of James, when you read the letter, he wrote it to the 12 tribes who had been dispersed. The 12 tribes of Israel. Was everybody in the 12 tribes of Israel a believer? Absolutely not. He was writing it to his Jewish brothers to say, y'all, Jesus is the only one. You see, this James that wrote the book of James, that God led to write the book of James, was Jesus' half-brother. He didn't come to know Christ as his personal Lord and Savior until Christ ascended into heaven. Can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother? Oh my goodness, the perfect child. I don't know what Mary and Joseph were like, but can you imagine Mary going, James, be more like your brother Jesus. And he's thinking, no way. I mean, I've never seen him do anything wrong. That would be tough. Growing up with Jesus as your brother and finding out he's God. Yeah, hello. That would be, well, that's what happened. But when he wrote to the 12 tribes, he's going, you need wisdom? I can tell you where to find it. It's in him. What we need to pray for is discernment so that we discern between worldly wisdom because worldly wisdom is bent towards selfish, greedy motives. God's wisdom is pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's reasonable. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's unwavering and without hypocrisy. How do we know that? Because God led James to write that in chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Why is his wisdom first pure and then peaceable and gentle and reasonable and full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy? Because that who, that's who Jesus is. He's pure. He's peaceable. He's gentle. He's reasonable. He's full of mercy, good fruits. He's unwavering and he's without hypocrisy. You see, we have wisdom. Are we walking in it? See, that's exactly what God led Peter to write about as well. Hey, y'all, you don't lack knowledge anymore because Christ is in you. Don't walk as if you have no knowledge. Walk in who you are in him. Walk counter to this culture. We know who we were, but don't stay there. Know who you are. And that's point number two. We got to know who we are. We're going to look at verses 15 through 19. Then we're going to break it down. But he says, but... 
He just said, don't walk in the worldly wisdom. Don't walk in your lack of knowledge. Don't be disobedient the way you were. He says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written in verse 16, you shall be holy because I am holy. In verse 17, he says, if you address as father the one who impartially judges, according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. I love verse 18. Knowing, if you've got your Bible, underline that word knowing. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Y'all, we've been redeemed with the blood of Christ, and the fact is, we weren't redeemed with anything this world has to offer. It wasn't with silver or gold. That, we've inherited a lot of things, and I love the way God has Peter describe it. He says, the things we've inherited is from a futile way of life. The futility of the riches of this world, he said, it's futile, it's pointless, it brings no glory, it brings no joy, it doesn't do anything for you other than leave you empty. Oh my goodness, y'all, there are people all over this country and literally around the world that live in mansions that have more money than they know what to do with, and guess what? They are still miserable. And then you can find people that live in the simplest of life, have the basics of life, and they have more contentment because they know Jesus. My mentor from years ago, his name's Michael Catt, he has a cousin, Ralph Bethay. Ralph served as a missionary over in Africa for years, and I still remember this story uh, when Ralph came back and, and shared with us, I mean, he had tons, but this one story just rocked my world back in the late 80s. He said he was out literally in the bush of Africa. And he said, these, these men and women are living in mud huts. I mean, that is their life. They get up in the morning, they literally would walk anywhere from a half a mile to a mile to find water. They would take uh, uh, large cauldrons and fill it with the water, and that was their water for the day to cook with, to drink, to bathe in. I mean, that was the, that's what they had, and that was their normal life. And he said, one of the women in the village said to him one day, she says, I pray for my brothers and sisters in America every day. And it shocked him, because he looked at her and thought, you live in a mud hut, and you've got to go, I mean, like, so far to find water just to cook in for the day and to, and to be able to wash a little bit and, and, and to be able to drink. And he says, what do you pray? And she said, oh, I can't imagine the temptations that Americans face with all of the things around them. She says, my needs are met every day. I have, I have a... I have a roof over my head. I have water. I have clothes on my back. What more do I need? I have my Lord. Wow. 
And we get upset when we have to wait in line at Walmart. Oh my goodness, y'all. It's that sense of, are we satisfied? Do we find our satisfaction in Christ? See, when we know who we are, when we really realize what we have in Christ, it changes us. So, first point here, be sure in what you know to be true. Be sure in what you know to be true. Philippians chapter 3, going back to chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, he says, for our citizenship is in heaven. From which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our humble bodies into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. You see, our citizenship is not here. This is not our home. This is not our home. Are we sure do we know that we know that we know who we are and that we are His? Be sure you know what's true. He is truth. His word is truth. Nothing else is. Know where your true home is and live for that home. Hunger and thirst for him and his word. Hunger and thirst for the righteousness that he's placed in you and walk in the righteousness he's given you and understand that he wants to use you to literally look so much different than this world. So what does that look like for us? Well, basically three things here. Number one, because of who we are now, we ought to be different in our behavior. We ought to be different in our behavior. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3 says, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Do y'all know, I, I, just that one verse right there, it says it's not proper among saints. That's us, y'all. We're the saints. We're the holy ones. Now, do we feel like saints? Do we feel like holy ones? But that's who we are. That's what God's word says about us. Here's what breaks my heart, and I know you probably said it because I used to say it, and I don't say it anymore because God taught me not to say it, so stop saying it. You're not a sinner saved by grace. You're a saint who still sins occasionally. Okay, you're not a sinner saved by grace. You were a sinner. You're not anymore. You're now a saint, and you still sin occasionally. I tell folks in Christ, I'm sinless. But in this fleshly shell, I'm still, I still sin. I just sin less. Because of my relationship with him. I don't do a lot of the things I used to do. There's a lot of things that I've been able to die to completely. They're not even temptations anymore. I still got other things, though. I mean, I'm still dealing with junk. But I sin less because of him. You see, our behavior ought to be different. As husbands, we ought to be treating our wives in a way that honors our king. As wives, we ought to be loving and respecting our husbands in the way that honors our king. As, as sons and daughters, we ought to be honoring our parents, not just when we're around them. We ought to be honoring our parents when they're not around at all. And your friends are going... You talk different about your mom and dad than we do. 
It's because I'm a child of the king and those are the parents God blessed me with and I will not dishonor my king by dishonoring my parents. You see, our behavior ought to be different. Which leads me to point number two. <laughs> we ought to be different in our language. Hello. We ought to be different in our language. Ephesians 5, 4 says, And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving a thanks. He says your language ought to be different. Matter of fact, if you want to write this scripture verse down, Ephesians, you see in Ephesians as well, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. You know what? God says, you know what? Now that you belong to me, every word that comes out of your mouth, you ought to be pouring forth my grace through your words. So how much grace did you pour forth today? And how much garbage came out of your mouth and you're going, I need to go back and ask forgiveness for some things. I need to go talk to it. I'm sorry. I didn't give you grace. I gave you garbage and I need to ask you to forgive me. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. You see, when we understand his truth and we understand who we are in him, guess what? That's what brings revival. We, we all of a sudden realize, wow, I mean, God, I, I see it now. I hear it now. And, it, and I'm even speaking it now because I understand what your truth says. My behavior is different. My language is different. And then, even this, we ought to be different in our thoughts. We ought to be different in our thoughts or our thinking. You know what we do? Well, let me give you the scripture first, 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. It says, though we walk in the flesh. Now, when it says walking in the flesh, that's literally this earthly dwelling we live in. He says, though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Now listen, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. God says, my spirit lives in you you take that thought captive. You bring it under the authority of my king, of your king and your Lord Jesus Christ. Our thoughts have got to change. I challenged you last night, and I'll challenge you again tonight. The only way we do that? By memorizing God's word. The only way my thought processes can be changed are by something more powerful than anything this world has. And the only thing that's more powerful is God's holy word. That's it. That's it. You see, his word is not, it's not like any other book because it's his word. It's alive. It's active. It is absolutely the same word that was spoken that created this world, that created the universe that we know of, that created the sun and the moon and the, and moon and the stars and the planets and everything around us. He says, that same word is the word that will change us. He says, you got to think different. But it's an act of our will. People say, how do you start memorizing Scripture? One at a time. One at a time. 
People tell me, well, I don't do good at memorizing. Oh, yes, you do. You didn't have to use your GPS to get here tonight. You've got the route memorized from your house to here. You've got routes memorized to every store you like, to every restaurant you like. You've got routes memorized to every family member that you like, even that you don't like. You've got, I mean, you know where you're going. You know how to get to school. You know how to get to work. You don't use your GPS every day. You use your GPS when you're going someplace that you have no clue where you're going. But once you've been there a few times, guess what? You don't use your GPS anymore, do you? I had to use my GPS first couple of times out here. I don't use it now. I know where I'm going. Now, if you take me someplace else, I'm probably going to get my GPS out because I'm not going to be sure. But the reality is what becomes familiar to us is what we remember. How familiar is it to you? Well, you got to start memorizing. You got to start memorizing. You got to hide it in your head so it transforms your heart. You see, memorizing the Word of God starts with the transforming of the mind. And as your mind's transformed, then guess what happens? Your heart's transformed. But it starts with the mind first. Because whatever your mind is full of, guess what? It's going to fill your heart. It starts here and moves right into here. And you've got to allow it to be changed. That's what God's doing with us every day. That's why he gave us his spirit, y'all. Because in and of ourselves, we can't do it. But by his spirit, we can. We can overcome. All right, so knowing who we were, knowing who we are, living counter to the culture, last thing is this. We must know he's been made known to us. Oh, I love this. Look at verses 20 and 21. It says, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. In other words, Christ has always been known. That means he's always been about, because he's God. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, they've always existed. Always. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but it has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Verse 21. Who through him, the who of verse 21 right there is us. Who through him are believers in God. Who raised him. Now the next who is God, the Father who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So, three quick things here. Number one, our Lord came for us so we would know him. That's why he came. He's always been known, but he wanted us to know him personally. Realize that, y'all. God has always desired fellowship. I mean, even in the garden, God walked with Adam and Eve every single day. He manifested himself and walked with them. Was it Jesus? I don't know. It just says God. But he walked with them every day in the garden. God created us because he desires fellowship with us. God has always fellowshiped his Father, Son, and Spirit. But he says, I want to make man in my own image. So we could fellowship with him. Our Lord came so we would know him. Second, it's through him that we believe in God the Father. That's exactly what he says. He says, through him we're able to believe in the Father. In other words, Jesus says, if you know me, you know the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, we've never seen Jesus with our physical eyes, but y'all, read his word. It's so clear who he is. 
He says, you know me, you know the Father, we're one and the same. And then he even says of the Spirit, he says, I'm not leaving you alone, I'm sending a helper. Well, why did Jesus leave? Because Jesus knew in his fleshly shell, he was limited in his ministry. God in the flesh was limited in his ministry, so he says, I'm leaving, but I'm literally coming back. He came back in the Spirit. Why? So he wouldn't live in one earthly shell. He'd live in hundreds of millions of earthly shells all around this globe. He lives in you and me. The same Jesus that walked on the face of this earth still walks on the face of this earth in you and in me. He says, I want to accomplish the exact same thing that I came to do to redeem the lost, to set the captives free. That's what he's doing in us, y'all. Man, when you realize (laughs) what you've been given and what you've been called to, it's like, wow. What a great gift, but also what a great responsibility. That's our responsibility. You see, that brings revival because when we really realize who we are and and, and, and not, not only who we were, but who we are and then who he is in us, it's like, wow, what we can do for him. What he wants to accomplish through us. And the last thing is this. Our faith and hope must be in him. Our faith and hope are in God the Father. Our faith and hope are in the fact that God said, this is true. That's why I sent my son. And I literally sent him not only to live, but to die. And then to be resurrected so that we could live every single day with purpose. Living counter to the culture, it's hard. Because this culture shoots at us every single day. What we, well, what it tells us is right and what it tells us is wrong. But I'm going to tell you this. If it doesn't line up with God's truth, chunk it. Don't walk in it. Don't believe it. Don't even give it a thought. Throw it to the side. Don't rest in anything this world has to offer you. Don't rest in anything this world has to offer you because it, it, it cannot bring change. But through Jesus Christ, that's where change comes. Change in our own lives and change in the lives of those around us when their eyes are finally open to the reality of who Christ is and who they can be in him too. You see, when I think about how God has transformed me over these last 40 years, it absolutely blows my mind. And I know he's not done with me. I know there's a lot of junk that still needs to be, you know, cast aside. Needs to be killed immediately. But that's the beauty of walking with him. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't give up on us. So tonight, as we move into the invitation time, here's my question for you. When you think about who you were, have you, have, you, have you fallen prey to kind of backsliding? Have you turned your back on God thinking, oh, I, I'm just not worthy? Have you fallen into that mindset of, well, maybe there's something here that, I, that can make a difference? Maybe there's something I can grab onto that can give me hope. 
Maybe there's something that has gotten you to, to be thinking that, that, that you're just not enough. And in Christ, it's, it's enough. He's enough. I love the song we sang a few minutes. He's it. But maybe there's something here tonight that you just need to say, God, I need to repent of that. I need to turn away from that. I need to quit buying the lie of what the culture says I'm supposed to be like, and I simply need to be obedient to you, period. Maybe there's, again, and I know I've challenged you with this, but maybe there's a relationship, even today. Maybe a word that was said, something that was done, that, that you go, man, I did not give away grace today. Man, my, my behavior wasn't right Christ-like. My words weren't Christ-like. My thoughts weren't Christ-like either. And maybe you need to get things right with those around you because of that. You see, revival starts with that confession of sin to one another. That's why James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. That healing is not about a physical healing. It's the spiritual healing of knowing who we are in Christ. Of being right every single day. Starting afresh. And you know what? Yeah, it's almost the end of the day, but you can still start fresh and new tonight. Don't hang on to any more burdens. Let it go. And realize who you are in Christ. And know that he came just for you. That's how precious you are to him. He came for you. Don't buy the lie of the enemy. He came for you. And if you know him, he calls you son or daughter. That's how precious you are. So whatever God's leading you to do tonight, maybe it's to come down and pray at the altar. Maybe it's to come down and to talk to Brother Matt. Maybe it's to come down as a family and just to, to, to pray together as a family. Maybe it's just to stay there in the pews and to talk with one another and to get things right even before you walk out of here. That's okay. Get it right. Don't wait till you walk. Get it right right where, right where you are. And begin to live counter to what this culture is shoving down your throat. And let God rock your world. So I want to pray. I think Derek's coming back up to sing. Matt's going to be down here. And we're going to let God move. So let's stand together. Let's stand together. We're going to pray. And Heavenly Daddy, I do. I just lay before you, each one of us. And as only you can do, I ask you, number one, Daddy, for every one of my brothers and sisters in here, you live in, you live in us. You live in every one of us. Oh, show us whatever it is in us that we've got to die to and that we will surrender that to you. If it's fear, that we die to the fear. If it's anxiousness, that we die to the anxiousness. If it's, if it's doubt, that we die to the doubt. If it's disillusionment, that we die to that. If it's depression, that we die to that. Daddy, whatever it is that's holding us back, that we literally crucify it right now through your power because you live in us. And if there's something publicly that we did today that we need to confess to someone standing with us or standing next to us or that we need to come down front, give us the boldness and courage to do so. Honoring and glorifying you. If there's one here tonight that doesn't know you, Daddy, give them the boldness and the courage to come down front and to surrender their all to you and to proclaim you as King and Lord. Whatever it is, I pray that we will respond in a manner that honors you you 
as our Lord, as our Daddy, as our King. And I pray this through you, Lord Jesus, and I thank you. Amen. You come as godly.